Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 320. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice. And I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. I'm so happy today to finally feature an interview with Janet Foss of J. Foss Garden Flowers, based in Onalaska, Washington, a community located halfway between Seattle and Portland. Janet Foss has a 30-plus year history as a Washington flower farmer, but her passion began when she was 10 years old. I remember asking for my own flower bed, she recalls. My grandmother was a cut flower grower and florist. It's a big thing in our family. As an adult, Janet and her husband Jim first raised unusual garden flowers on a 20-acre farm in Everett, Washington, north of Seattle. Since 2003, they have farmed on 40 acres in Onalaska, alongside the Newacom River, with five-plus acres specifically dedicated to field-grown, greenhouse, and high-tunnel flower production. Her natural ability to grow things has paid off, as Janet is known in flower farming circles as an expert in heirloom chrysanthemums. For several years, Janet popularized vintage varieties of specialty mums through a mail-order venture, and after selling that business to another grower, Janet now focuses exclusively on raising uncommon cut flowers. Something different is her guiding principle when it comes to choosing which crops to grow. She specializes in high-quality flowers that are different and unusual from the standard garden flowers normally available. That includes 3,000 dahlias and rare pussy willows and more than 200 varieties of other flowers, including astrancha, calla lily, campanula, heirloom chrysanthemums, cosmos, delphinium, garden roses, gentian, grasses, hypericum, ladies' mantle, ninebark, ornamental wheat, pussy willow, saponaria, scabiosa, sunflowers, sweet peas, and zinnias, and so much more, including beautiful garden roses. Janet regularly sells at her stall inside the Oregon Flower Growers Association, which is located at the Portland Flower Market. In Seattle, you can find her seasonal offerings at Northwest Wholesale. And she's a founding member of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market. While Janet's not involved anymore with the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, I personally witnessed her leadership in helping establish what has become a vibrant hub for Northwest-grown flowers in Seattle. And I, I just want to acknowledge that. I know you'll enjoy our conversation and listen for the tale of how Janet and I actually went to college at the same time as home economics majors at Seattle Pacific University. I guess all roads lead to flowers, though, because horticulture has been both of our passions long after we gave up the sewing machine and that pattern-making training from our college days. Visit DebraPrinzing.com to see our show notes for episode 320 with lots of photos of Janet and her farm, including links to her social places. And let's get started. 
Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so excited to finally introduce Janet Foss of J. Foss Garden Flowers. Hi, Janet. Hi, Deborah. And we've been talking about doing this podcast for quite a while, and um, it's on me, but I finally took took the exit off of Exit 71 in on Alaska off of I-5 and came five miles east to see you. And you're kind of in the Chehalis area? Yes. Between... Seattle and Portland, right? Yeah, almost halfway in between. Um, when I first met you, you had already... Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I first <laughs> met you in college. Okay, i got to tell this story. I went to the ASCFG conference in 2010 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was researching the 50-mile bouquet, and I didn't really know the industry, and I sat in on a, on a workshop taught by Janet Foss about specialty mums and heirloom mums. Do you remember that? Yeah. And the whole time I was listening to you, I thought, I know this woman. How do I know this woman? Do you remember that? <laughs> I came up to you and I like started quizzing you. I remember that, yeah. I, I'm not as good as you at figuring out things like that. Well, you looked so familiar to me, and somehow we figured out that we were at Seattle Pacific University at the same time. Yeah. And both in the home economics program, right? Uh-huh. Where you were... You I, were was, I was in home economics. What were you made... Were you, uh, like, in education or something, right? No, I was just in... I didn't get an education degree. I just had a Bachelor of Science in Natural and Mathematical Sciences. Okay. <laughs> But the t- and I was a little bit behind you. And when I graduated, they called it. They let me say I was in. I had a bachelor of arts in textiles and clothing. Oh. I was on the sewing side. You were. Oh. You were. I gen- was on the sewing side. I did both. Yeah, you were more of a of an all purpose home ec major. <laughs> I failed out of food and nutrition. <laughs> I, yeah, I liked food and nutrition. I loved. Uh, did you have Mrs. Warnick? I did. I liked her too. I love her. She's she's still with us. Yeah. And she was my advisor. Oh. Stella Warnick. Uh-huh. Um, well, that was a long time ago. And then, <laughs> you know, fast forward, uh, like, literally 30 years later, and I'm sitting in this ballroom going, who is this woman? I know her. And you were so knowledgeable. You had so much to share on mums. And uh, I learned that you actually bought a, a collection, right? Yeah, I bought. It's It's kind of weird, but... There's this lady in Chehalis who grew beautiful, had a, she was in, like, had a business growing mums. It was Mary Caustic. And I would drive down from Seattle when I sold at Pike Street Market, and I would buy mums from her. And For the cut flower trade, not, yeah, not garden mums. But she did both. Okay. She had, you could, like, uh, she had a little mailing list, and she sent out mailings, and then she would send people um, cuttings. But she would also let me come. She, you could go to her farm and pick them up. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't huge or anything. She probably only did 10,000 cuttings a year. I'm not positive on yeah, that. Yeah, ballpark. But she was very knowledgeable on growing them. And it was so much fun, and she had the most incredible mums I'd ever seen in my whole entire life. I just couldn't believe it because I didn't really like mums until I saw hers. And then um, we moved down here and I would go pick up a few mums from her or buy some mums. She also raised cut mums. In the fall, I'd buy mums from her and you could buy a whole bucket of mums for like $25. You know, you could decorate a whole church or something. It was oh my awesome. Goodness. Yeah. And people so, would just be blown away by them because they were so unusual like the larger shapes and the coppery beautiful colors wow yeah she loves like the coppers and the dark brown yeah she loves those kind so then jim and i decided well what are we we want to specialize in something 
and we were trying to decide and we went out to dinner and we ran into her and she goes oh I've, Janet I've been meaning to call you I want to sell my mom business would you be interested in buying it and my whole life kind of turned around before me and I thought do, do I want to do that because I don't know if I could do cut flowers in that but the business hadn't been really ran well she was ready to, had been retired and just did a few cuttings every year and she, she gave so I I decided to do it it wasn't very much money it was five hundred dollars and she gave me all these plants wow and all the knowledge I needed what and year was that 2000 I I don't really know 2000 mm. Four or okay. five. Okay. But you had already established your farm in here. Onalaska. Here, we came here in 2003. It was okay. just a field, and the house was built and finished in 2003. We moved here on June 8th because <laughs> Greg graduated from high school June 7th, <laughs> and our house was sold there, and we had no place to go. Okay. So we moved here the day after graduation. Um, and the we took that year kind of off getting the soil ready and and stuff like that and 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 so you really had only farmed here maybe one season before you acquired the mom business then probably three okay i probably so it's probably more like four okay 2004 or so okay um because we already had the calla lilies in and and we had them in the greenhouse and we were deciding if we how we wanted to sell them because we were getting more than we could you know, a lot, and we didn't really want to drive to Seattle, and we didn't really want to, we didn't know anybody in Portland, mm -hmm. and so we weren't really sure what we wanted to do, mm -hmm. and so we were trying to figure it all out that day, and Jim's, you know, disabled, because he had a stroke when he was 43, and so sometimes things don't work out like you think they're going to, Right. and so I bought the mom business, and we were going along, and actually we had built it up quite a lot, about Six of the addresses on the whole list were good that she gave me <laughs> because uh, people move around. And you were selling cuttings by mail order? Yeah. Okay. And and the customers, were they cut flower farmers or were they more like just enthusiastic gardeners? They were just enthusiastic gardeners. Okay. And it's like... Pre-internet kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just like different kind of people than you've ever met in your whole life. Mm -hmm. But um, they, uh, they loved their moms and they showed them, and that's right. what they want to do is they mostly want to show them. But some people just want to grow them in their gardens. And, I mean, there would be people who would buy, you know, like these were just gardeners, buy three or $400 worth of mums at a time to plant in their garden. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, and I didn't have any big, um, like, uh, botanical gardens at the time. I basically only ran the business for three years. Okay. And then... I realized, I read an article and it said that most businesses only make it three years and it isn't always financial because the business had like tripled and quadrupled and it was actually doing well and I could have, I could have made it just selling mums. But my, because of Jim's disability, he couldn't handle that I, I wanted to give up growing cut flowers. Mm. And that's what he knew as your business. Yeah. And he liked and, that. And he liked that. And he yeah. didn't want me to be a mom person. <laughs> and and so he, I could do both, but I couldn't do one or the other in his mind. Mm -hmm. And knowing that how his he has so much brain damage and everything and how things work, I decided 
I needed to sell the mum business or give it away or whatever. And it, it was not making enough for somebody to make a huge amount of profit on at the time, but it was, it was doing okay. So it could be like a good add-on for somebody. Yeah, and like I had for you. I had went to Portland that year, and I had done a presentation, and people saw them. I put a few mums in my presentation, even though it wasn't about mums, just at the very end, and everybody came running up to me about those heirloom mums that were in my presentation. This was at ASCFG, yeah, in Portland. It was yeah. in two thousand eight or nine. It it probably was. Yeah, I, I remember that. And so anyway, it was at the growers' school there, and. So anyway, I thought, man, I've probably been neglecting a good source of where I could have been selling these mums. But anyway, uh, Ray Gray was there, and he um, said he was looking for a new business. And, and I told him, well, I probably have my mum business for sale. And he was interested, and they came and looked, and they decided... I just offered it to him for the same price. I didn't try to make money. I just wanted it to go someplace where people would be happy running it. It's mm. very stressful running mail order. Way mm -hmm. more stressful than people can imagine. Yeah. Looking for, you have 400 kinds of moms, and you're looking for one particular one that someone wants. And it's like... And then producing the cutting and packaging it. And, and finding that. it in the greenhouse. <laughs> I never really had a good system for that. But anyway, he decided it wasn't enough money for them just to live on. And so King's Moms in California had contacted me about buying their place, and I knew I didn't want to do that. And I went there, and it was beautiful, but I, I knew at this point that moms were not going to be my future. Okay, so I thought Ray owned King's Moms. He bought it. Oh, he bought it. He and bought then, Bind, then he went and bought King's. Ah, so he kind of combined them. And he combined them. He pretty much dropped the Mary's Moms. It was actually a patented internet name you couldn't use it anyway and so um, what was that mary's mom's yeah oh, that's the person that you that i bought it from so king's mom still exists right yeah but does ray own it no he sold it too okay but it's not on the northwest anymore no it's in oklahoma okay do people that you know in the floral industry still uh buy cuttings from king's for the cut flower trade oh yeah a lot of ascfg people buy cuttings for... so some of your cuttings are still in that inventory yeah that's cool. Yeah. And do you grow mums at all anymore? Not really. Yeah. I, I don't know. They take a lot of work to grow mm -hmm. and a lot of time. And especially if you want to grow them like I was taught to grow them, which is like disbudding them all and making nice big blooms and, you know, all of that, which a lot of people don't grow them like that. They mm -hmm. just more sell them as a spray, mm -hmm. even though they could... Um, mm -hmm. Could kind of uh, force it into like one showcase. Yeah. Prize-winning bloom. Yeah. Okay, so I knew there was... That was sort of... The, we have a very happy dog who's trying to get up in our laps. <laughs> I have... Okay, so I have that association with you, and do people still ask you for advice on moms? Or are you kind of... It's been a while now and sort of not moved on. Yeah, not too many people ask me uh, for advice. I mean, my sister will ask me a thing or two. Yeah. She uh, mainly gets hers, like, from Fairball Moms. Okay, so Janet, how would you describe J. Foss Garden Flowers now? Your acreage, your varieties, you know, how you're running your business. Well, I consider us like a boutique farmer where we don't do tons of one thing. We just want to do a lot of different things. And so... <laughs> just to make things more complicated for yourself, right? Yeah. 
I just really like flowers, and that's the whole reason I got into it. And just to settle on a few things uh-huh. seems unreasonable and out of my um, personality. Yeah. So yeah. how many uh, different, I don't know, genus or, or cultivars do you think you have? What What's your rough list? Over 100? Oh, well over 100. Okay. It could be 500. Okay. Um, some things we only have one or two of, but some things we, we have a lot of different pussy willows and a lot of pussy willows. You do. And um, so some things we do have a lot of. Um, we only do, like, Ethiopian calla lilies, but we have three varieties of those, a pink and whites, a couple whites. When you say Ethiopian, green. is that the super large calla lily yeah, flower? Yeah, South that's African. They, oh, okay. So the, the big calla lilies are from South Africa. All the colored calla lilies are actually New Zealand. Okay. I don't okay. know. They may have some in South Africa, so you're too. So lar- you're doing the larger ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, a whole array of vines and roses and annuals and perennials. I mean, that's like... And shrubs. And so woodies, right. So you're so, in that regard, you're kind of a, f- a full service in that you can, you could be a farmer florist you could design your own you could you don't need to buy anything in if you end up doing a wedding right i don't need to buy anything in if people want me to do the wedding which i'm not doing at all because i feel like i don't make enough money doing it you have in the past though right i have done it i only use my product i never buy anything so i would look carefully at what they wanted before i would agree to it Mm -hmm. and if it looked like it was all imports i would say sorry this is i'm not the florist or person for you yeah and i would only do ones that were in our area unless it was a good friend yeah um and then i might go someplace else but you would you would also only want to uh cut what was blooming at the time of the event yeah yeah it's interesting because i usually do them it's free for my nieces and nephews Mm -hmm. And um, I would, you know, like, they would tell me what they want, and I'd say, that's fine, and this is how it works if it's free. It has to be growing on my farm. But if you want to buy stuff and bring it to me to use, I can use it. No one ever did that. Everybody always just took They want Aunt Janet's flowers. Yeah. So, anyway. Before we turn the recorder on, though, you said that your your grandmother was truly a farmer florist. So yeah. that before that term was in existence. So, yeah. so tell me about about is that how she, was she your main influence? Yeah, yeah. When I was a little girl, my grandmother had the most amazing bedding plant, farm garden, flower business ever on the face of the earth. In and this community, she lived in Winlock, which is just you know maybe twelve miles away. Okay. And she just was a um, person who um, liked to do her own thing, and she also had cows. And she was super self-sufficient then. Yeah, and they had a, a probably six or seven greenhouses and had a greenhouse business, and she ran it all by herself. Wow. She was like a workaholic woman. I mean, amazing was woman. It, was it, what was the name of that business? It was Larson's Bedding Plants. Okay, so she was selling to, like, Local garden centers and nurseries? Nope. She sold all of her product to people who came there because she had such beautiful product. Wow, how neat. She was so, the 
was never a weed in her garden. I mean, I did not inherit that thing, that ability from her. But, <laughs> but she, what a way to grow up seeing that. Yeah, and she in her garden was they were my grandpa was a Swedish and it had a definite Swedish atmosphere mm-hmm. around because he helped with the garden although mm-hmm. he had an outside job, and uh, she would do arrangements for people, and they would. Um, uh, you know, she would didn't have like she would have carnations come and they would be dyed and stuff, different things like that to make colors. But she would go out in the uh, wild and pick Queen Anne's lace, or she would find really cool calla lilies on her walk. I mean, not calla lilies, pussy willows, yeah. and she would propagate them and have them in her yard to use for Neat. things. And she did that until the day she died. She would find things. She would go out for a walk and oh, this is beautiful. I'm gonna try and grow it or whatever. She just had this innate ability to try to be like a plant whisperer or something. Yeah, she just loved plants and she was a hard worker and still had a lot of time for all of her 15 grandchildren. <laughs> so you you like grew up spending summers there or, or visiting or I mean you just yeah. you just love the flowers? Yeah, I just my mom's also a great gardener and her mom was a great gardener and her sisters were uh, her she had two sisters that were florists. And gardeners, and so my whole life was filled with gardening. Yeah, and you never went to someone's house without getting out and walking around the garden first. That was mm-hmm. always the priority mm-hmm. wherever you were. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's just a that was just a never even thought that gardening was anything really special. It just happened. You just did it. Right. And uh, so it sort of seems inevitable that when you and Jim got married, and you pretty early on in your your life as a couple you had land and you started growing flowers then right yeah i always said i wanted to marry a farmer and so that it was yeah (laughs) anyway but you became the farmer (laughs) yeah i wanted to marry a farmer because that's how i grew up on a farm right i just thought that was the great life you know and when i met jim he had two acres which is not really a farm and it had he just had it it was like probably going to be used for development at some point mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. which is not for me yeah but anyway i asked him if i could start a garden there and i he had an old shovel and i just took the shovel and started digging <laughs> and started a garden and i just worked on it when i'd go visit him mm. before we got married mm-hmm. and by the time we got married, it was a pretty much a full-fledged, beautiful garden. Wow. And so when we came back from our honeymoon, uh, I had already told him, he said, I think gardening's kind of expensive. I said, well, we can sell this stuff. And so when we came back from our honeymoon, he went downtown Everett and got the business license and signed us up for the farmer's market. And I had went back to the gas company to work, and then on weekends we went to the Everett Farmer's Market and started selling cut wow. flowers. Wow. And different things people we were experimenting with life at the time like what do we want to do we had plants we had uh, vegetables so we had an all array of things on our little on your stand yeah on our stand and on your farm and on our farm where we're trying to determine what we were going to do so from everett and we'll just say everett is a a town about what 30 miles north of seattle yeah I used to work for the newspaper there, so I know it's like 50,000 population. It's where Boeing plant is. I mean, it's kind of like a large suburb city of, or satellite city north of Seattle. Um, So selling on Saturdays at the farmer's market was probably not enough to pay your bills. It was just, the market was too small, right? Yeah, well, some people I think were doing pretty good there. The market probably only went three years, and then it um, collapsed because... 
the the Everett Mall actually built the stand the place for us to be, and I don't think they f- they built a covered um, area. Uh-huh. And I don't think that it made it brought in the amount of money or the people that they had envisioned that it would bring into the mall to make the mall more profitable. Because realistically, farmers markets and mall things are not anything alike. <laughs> they don't belong together. Right. No. Right. And so I it, didn't realize that. And they huh? they folded it after a pretty it wasn't very long. So then we went to Redmond Market for a year and then we went to we got into Pike Street Market and started selling there. Okay, so that is kind of a fascinating to me because um, you know, even today you must run into people who who if you're traveling and they're like, oh, Seattle, I've bought my flowers at the Pike Place Market. I bet to what's happening at the Pike Place Market now is pretty different than when you were selling there, right? I mean, you were selling there, what, in the in the 90s? or? So I quit in 1990. Well, Jim had his stroke in 1998. Did I sell that year? I'm not sure if I did or not, but in there, because after we moved down here, they said if you want to keep selling it, the market you need, I need to come up and sell and I have they physically required the farmer. farmer to be there every three years at least okay. or something so I didn't know I could still do that I thought I'd been out way longer than that but they just wanted me to know if I wanted to sell there they'd still let me in and maybe it was because of the health issues that sure. are in our family I don't know and so I had to make a decision do I want to sell at Pike Street Market anymore and I didn't and how so how many years do you think you sold down there I sold about 15 wow Janet that's crazy and were there other local farmers selling at the time at the Pike Place Market it was a, it was a lot like it is now it is oh so um huh. we actually did pretty good there and even it was okay so there was a lot of Filipinos at the time selling cut flowers, dahlias, etc. So it's when the Pike Street Market has went through, according to what people told me, at first it was mostly Italian selling there. But Jim's grandpa, who was Swedish, he sold there. He sold chickens, you know, alive chickens to people, you know, when he died before Jim, before That's the 50s. That's crazy. So yeah, he, you, you wouldn't know, see that now. <laughs> yeah. He sold live chickens at the market to make money. So many years ago, I yeah. mean, you know, probably a hundred years ago. I don't know how long is it have been a hundred years. It's almost. I was there when they were celebrating seventy five years. Yeah, yeah. And I've been in there for a long time. Sure, it's probably turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. Early early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. So it's so then they mostly had Italian farmers, and they would do some flowers with their, um, their with their vegetables. vegetables. Yeah. And they and I know like they did a lot of like annual baby's breath. And when I first started in the market, it blew me away because they would bring in buckets and buckets and buckets of annual baby's breath. And people would rush down there and buy buckets and buckets and buckets. <laughs> and, and it's like, I have never seen that much baby's breath sold since then. Right. I mean, it was not even, so, it's, it's the Covenant Garden type, you know. Right. So this was like, you started, if you were there 15 years, you started in the mid-80s and went to the kind of the yeah. late 90s. Yeah. And so it sounds like what you and you were referring to the Italian farmers and then the Filipino farmers, and now it seems there's a lot of Hmong farmers. Right. It's sort of the the um, a point of entry for for recently arrived yeah. uh, cultures to do some farming and sell through the Pike Place Market. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, even today. And like all the Hmong farmers were trained to, to, by people to grow vegetables because at the time there still wasn't enough vegetables in the market. Mm. But it wasn't very long before they realized there was way more work to grow vegetables than to grow 
flowers. cut flowers. And so they switched to cut flowers too. And that's where you got the giant bouquet. We had the same thing when we were down there. Giant bouquets. For, for $10 or $5 yeah. or $10, depending on how they were warring with each other that day. But you really didn't have to pay play that that deal with them. Um, you, in other words, you didn't feel like you had to compete with that type of product. No, I didn't feel like I had to. I, would, I got the first sunflowers in the Pike Street Market that were pollenless, and we could bring in like two truckloads a day. It was so much fun. And everything would sell. Yeah, we'd wow. just sell out, and they, it drove them crazy. But, you know, it doesn't take very long before people figure it out. It's, yeah. And then you don't have that market anymore yeah, of sunflowers. Yeah. You're constantly having to innovate. To find new things. And then there was that Seattle garden sh- store down there, you know. The, mm-hmm. That was the most amazing garden store ever, mm-hmm. which is no longer there. But you could just go in there and buy bulk seeds. And that's where all the Hmongs and all the Filipinos bought their seeds. And they would see something on my booth. They'd bring the buyer over and ask her to uh, source whatever it was that they wanted. Wow. And so it was yeah. really easy. It's like you were the, the the role model, easy to copy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ha- I know that happens in the marketplace, but it's it's irritating. It, it's frustrating that people can't find their. To me, it's frustrating that people can't find their own product. But I can't say that I don't do it too. I mean, we all see things that are cool and we want to grow. Right. And right. so I mean, I have to think about that too. Like. So at the time you made this decision to stop selling at the market, it kind of coincided with Jim's stroke, with your family moving from Everett or Snohomish County, which is the Everett north north of Seattle, down to this area, which is what, 100 miles south or 75 or 80 miles south. You're kind of a completely different growing zone uh, that, yeah. that you're here, right? Well, I... I actually quit selling at the Pike Street Market when I started selling wholesale. Okay. So I sold, uh, I would go to the wholesaler and they'd buy everything they wanted off my my truck. And then I'd go to Pike Street Market and sell the rest, which was extremely boring. I see. And then within a few months, they just decided to make a deal with me and they bought 100% of what I grew. And so then I just started selling 100% of everything to the, to the wholesaler in Seattle. Is this wholesaler in existence anymore, or has it changed? No, it, it was uh, Evergreen, which um, was owned by local guys, and it got bought out by Canadian guys, and then it got defunct. Uh-huh. And so, and I was in all of that with that, and it was kind. It was everybody always said, "Don't, don't get caught with one wholesaler." But it was so. I would never. I never regretted it. Right at the time, it worked for you. It worked, and you know, there's always going to be changes in your life when you have to try something else, and. I never had any waste, any compost, anything. They treated me so well. Did you feel like you were getting paid a fair rate? Um, obviously, it's different than retail, but your time seemed to be more efficiently applied to wholesale sales versus standing at a park, a public farmer's market. Yeah. you. I feel like I made more money selling there. I'm not sure that I was paid fairly, but when you look at how much comes off the Canadian auction... I brought sunflowers 100 miles south for a florist, and they were $2.50 that she paid for them off of the Canadian auction. I got more than that when I sold in the 90s for sunflowers. Mm. So I have to look You're at it and think, competing oh. with that uh, uneven playing field then with, with well, they Canadian product. Yeah, well, everybody's always competing with that. I mean, like Alstromerias are coming off the auction for a dollar fifty for five stems. There's there. So why bother growing them? Yeah, it's how I feel. Although, 
some people are growing them and doing okay. I think you just have to hope that your product is better. But I've seen some of them, and it's very nice product. Yeah. And so, is it greenhouse grown in, in British Columbia? Is that what's happening? I think it is. Yeah. But I still don't see how a farmer can make it. On the set, I mean, how much did the farmer get if the florist is paying a dollar fifty? Right. Right. It's sad. Uh, it's more of a commodity product than what you're doing. And back to your point about being a boutique cut flower farm. What I've always admired about you is you're a true plants woman. You are a you geek out on finding some crazy scabiosa like you just showed me and then you chase it up upstream to find the seed source. And yeah. People watch what you're growing because they want they know you have an eye for that. Yeah, well, I do love I do love <laughs> flowers and that's why I got into the business and that's what I always think. As I love flowers and like the other day, I got done early because it was raining, mm -hmm. and uh, the trucks were all loaded, and we were ready to go to market. And I went in the house and grabbed a seed catalog and spent the evening reading seed catalogs, because that's what I love. That was your joy. Yeah. Well, when you and I reconnected at ASCFG um, and saw, I saw each other at a couple meetings in 2010, I just, I don't feel like I can finish this podcast without talking about your role in incubating and starting the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market because you were one of the founding members back in 2011. Mm -hmm. um, my, my recollection of our conversations then is that by that time, the wholesale, conventional wholesale machine wasn't valuing your product and you were having, you were not, you were not getting paid for quality or freshness or um, your growing practices or, you know, the beauty, you were just having to compete on price with imports. Um, and that was one reason why you were interested in being part of the new growers market. But I, it, you may have a different recollection. That was sort of part of it, right? Well, the, I had kind of decided just to sort of retire and maybe just do like some shrubs to supplement our income here or there. And I had kind of checked into the Portland market of selling there, but it seemed overwhelming to me. And I he said, well, I don't really know if I wanted to do that. I felt like they were a lot bigger growers than me, and they are a lot bigger growers than me. Out of, at the Oregon Flower Growers. Yeah. Yeah. Especially back then. Right. There were a lot of big growers, and well, I was afraid to even, Yeah, I felt overwhelmed and scared to even apply to get in. Well, in Oregon, Oregon's so horticulture-based, so it, yeah, it's, it's, and it's like professional nurseries. And, yeah, it's kind of like Washington. We're stuck between two big horticulture giants, that's and our true. government doesn't care a little bit about horticulture right, right right and so they all get these supplements here and there and all these good deals and we have to compete with it right anyway so i had sort of checked into that and maybe selling to frank adams or something like that no one knew me no one heard of me no one cared about me and i was used to being a princess <laughs> and at, at evergreen yeah <laughs> and the pike place and, and every place i sold even when i sold to other wholesalers in seattle I was a princess when I had my calla lilies, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, anyway, I decided, let's just, we did start doing farmer's market, and I grew a little bit for that, and I was just going to take it easy and kind of, mm. like, relax with Jim's stroke thing, mm -hmm. and... and um, just live your life. Yeah, and not do that kind of stuff. And I still belong to the ASCFG, and we went to that conference at Charles Little. Yep. And June of 2010. 10, I think, yeah. And so then um, Pat brought up that we really needed a market in Seattle, a grower's market like Portland's. And anyway, I was halfway in between, and I 
you know, I kind of got recruited to help out with that and sort of help see it through. And it, it was a really fun time, and I'm glad that I did it. I don't think the market would be what it is today if you hadn't been part of the founding of it, Janet. Well, you were essential. But it was fun. I had a lot of fun doing that. And um, that's when I really got to appreciate your talent as a grower. But, um, it, you yeah. know, it was a it was a super fun time. I enjoyed it a lot. So and you did that for a few years and then you you went changed again. Right? Yeah. Then I changed again and did some other. So things. now you're selling J. Foss Garden Flowers mainly at through Northwest Wholesale in Seattle? Well, they actually let me just have a space, and they don't charge me for it. Okay. And they um, they just let me have a space in there and to sell my flowers, so I don't really have to pay anything. But I pay Bev to help me out, and I pay them if they deliver, or in which they will deliver my product around Seattle, or if they sell when we leave, then I give them a cut. They yeah. actually volunteered to do it without pay, but it just seemed unrealistic yeah. to me. This is a cleaner. The, yeah. So you've done that for a couple of years, right? Yeah, I've done it probably for four or five years now. And it's I like doing it. It's um, very unpolitical, and it's... Um, it's just push the flowers through the door. Yeah, and so... And in a wholesaler like Northwest, where most of their product is imported, I know they have some California product. I mean, you're kind of... Are you kind of it for local local Northwest-grown product? Well, they buy quite a bit from some of the... A lot of tulips and stuff from the Mount Vernon oh, places. Sure. Like a lot of uh, Washington floral, um, so, Washington, whatever that place is. Washington bulb. bulb yeah. So kind of for like one specific commodity yeah. crop. Yeah. But then they have, you know... All that Canadian stuff, mostly it's Canadian stuff. But yeah. then they get stuff from all over the world, and they do have a lot of California stuff. Um, but they will buy from local growers. But the thing is, is they don't really want to, I don't know. I mean, they want it to be the price that the auction's getting. So, like, if ladies' mantle is coming off the auction for a dollar a bunch, and that's all they want to pay for it, and it's not worth I don't know how they can pick it for a dollar a bunch. Right. But I can't. Right. So you don't even take ladies' mantle up there then? No, I do. I take ladies' mantle, and oh. I charge $8 a bunch for it. <laughs> and do people buy it? And people buy it. Awesome. Because <laughs> they, know, they know they're getting something special from you. I don't know. Want. Sometimes I look at it and wonder if it is. But that's what I feel like it takes to to have, the, you know, to have it and to grow it. And so I... I can't worry about what other people always want to know what somebody's charging or how much something is. And you have to do what's going to make money for you. So in other words, don't worry about that. Worry about what your cost of goods are and figure out your what price you need to charge. Yeah, to make it. Yeah. And and don't worry if somebody's a little bit cheaper than you. A lot of times it's just the convenience. I'm here buying from you. I might as well buy some of yours. Or you're, you're always, you always have it. They don't always have it. Right. And it's relationship-based, too. Yeah. You added Portland. Um, and when we say Portland, there's sort of two worlds down there. There's the Portland Flower Market and then the, the Oregon Flower Growers Association within the Portland Market. And that's where you are, right? Yeah. Okay. And that's really... I mean, technically, you have to be, um, I guess you don't have to be an Oregon grower because you're a Washington grower. How did that work out? So, yeah, it is kind of weird, but a lot of anybody from Oregon or Washington can sell there. Okay. So even if, so some, I'm actually closer than some, it's right on the border. You're closer to Portland than, than to. Than Eugene is Seattle. to oh. 
to Portland. That's true. And so a lot of farmers in the Oregon market actually drive a lot farther than I drive right. to sell there. Right. And and so I was surprised too that they did that, but there's it makes yeah, sense. There's a, there's quite a few um, Washington um, growers in the Portland market. Yeah, if you drew a concentric 100 mile radius around Portland, you would be closer than some of the Oregon growers. Is yeah. what you're saying. So how does that work to sell through two venues? You have different people helping you you said your son's helping you with the portland yeah my son we just have i just have my son help me mm -hmm. everything in portland has to be priced um so because they only charge five percent to sell it if you rent a booth oh okay so but they, they do have to have the price on there so right um it's a pretty good deal and it's you just have to look at it like i need to get the price on here right so that yeah it's just a little bit of labor on the front end it Pricing, is you price I, it on the buckets or on the on the bunch we put them on the bunch we have uh, we bought a um a tag for plants a, a zip tag but we just rubber band it on mm -hmm. and take it off if we don't sell it so that we can reuse it because you know, they're like three cents a piece. Yeah. I know yeah. it's not very much, but it all adds up. You're a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> you don't throw anything away. And so we, I thought that they would be like, you could zip tie them on a bundle, but they're way too small to zip tie on a bundle. So, you know, they're like those little notchy ones. Yeah. And we have a, we got um, the UPC codes and we printed those all on and we were going to do them all, but the Oregon market doesn't use UPC codes. Okay. But we can if we want to. Sure. And so we we go ahead and put them on there, um, but yeah, I hire someone to come in um, for four hours every week and to price stuff for Oregon and for Washington because it helps the wholesaler. We sell out to price if everything's priced and they don't have to try sure. and look it up and see. Especially how much if you're it. not there. And if we're not there, yeah. And then what are the? Are you able to? Uh, deliver product 12 months of the year or do you take some time off in the winter what's your season well i you know i since we pay for portland so we're this is our last week in seattle okay for the year for the year and then we will um take in maybe some maybe some more rose hip wreaths or something for them um, but then we'll start in January with pussy willows, and we'll take a lot of our pussy willows to the market, but we won't stay and sell. Right. And they kind of can sell themselves. They can sell them. They sell usually fairly easily for them. And then we'll take our pussy willow wreath there to sell. And um, they actually do better in Seattle than Portland. Mm -hmm. And so we'll take most of them there to sell. Mm -hmm. But um, in Portland, we pay for our space year-round, so I like to try and pay for it year-round. So you try to have something in the mark in the stall. And I don't month. want to look empty. Like, yeah. a lot of people just vacate their space and leave it empty, and I don't like that look. And so I will put sticks or slabs of wood or whatever. Uh, the A lot of times the cattle really start blooming in October. They're not going to this year, but mm -hmm. a lot of times they do, and we'll have those mm -hmm. to take down. Not a lot, not enough for two markets, but enough to... Make our payment in Portland. And say, hey, Jay Foss Garden Flowers is here. Yeah. And yeah. then we we have a lot of Christmas, like, greens and stuff. We don't usually do... They have a ton of wreaths down there that are really low-priced, and I don't really want to compete yeah, with that. Yeah, the greenery. Yeah. yeah. And so... But and, you'll forage and that sort of thing. Yeah, we have some pine and different things like that. We just go around and look for good, pretty things and stick them down there. And it. we paid for a booth every... We pay for our booth every month last year, even when we basically take time off. Even when there was snow on the ground. Yeah, well, one one week we made zero. And I don't know, because sometimes how the thing works, 
<laughs> I we weren't there. Yeah, you're so, like what? <laughs> yeah, we were in Hawaii, but that's okay. I mean, that's the enough. whole thing was covered with snow in Portland. You couldn't even hardly get to the market. So yeah, they had it was a, rough... a it was a good day, a good time to be in Hawaii. Yeah, they had a rough winter. <laughs> so uh, you're you're winding down for the fall in Seattle, and probably um, you know you'll have product through the holidays uh, with the wreaths and. Um, Portland and also for people who come here to shop you have your roadside stand where I saw you had a lot of flowers out today and that's you still care about your local customers right yeah neighbors (laughs) well we well you've originally traditionally your neighbors have come here to shop right yeah we don't let people come to the roadside stand to shop we don't really do a lot at the unless you're a really good friend and you've bought from us for a long time but there's flowers out there right now but there's flowers out there and i consider it a community service okay um, because it's really, we don't sell for what they're worth because people in this county, it's a very depressed county as far as economically, and they just really don't see the value that we see in our sure. flowers. So, uh, my daughter-in-law is doing the, the, um, the booth okay. this year while she lives next door to us while okay. they're building their house. And so she's done a really good job. The problem is, is there's a lot of theft mm. and it gets super distressing we're only gonna we have this tour coming up on the 8th and then after that we're gonna uh, close the stand down for the winter because it's on the honor system it's totally honor system and so yeah that's not good well you're on a very busy highway it's not like you you're on a a road just with neighbors you're yeah you're on a which is which it can make a lot of money it's just so frustrating to have come out there and have things yeah stolen that sucks yeah um so janet you when you were honored at the ASCFG in 2012 in Tacoma for being uh, hitting your 30th anniversary as a flower farmer, remember that? Now you're at 35 years, and, you know, it's you've seen it all, right? <laughs> I've seen a lot. I've seen Linaria... <laughs> I've seen Linaria come in and go out and come in. I hear it's going to be big again. <laughs> so nothing surprises you anymore. <laughs> I saw Baby's Breath Big, Baby's Breath Band, Baby's Breath Big again. Right, right. And so it's kind of, a, I was thinking. How do you feel about Bearded Iris? That's another one of those categories, right? Well, I mean, so, you know, uh, that gal from. Um, from New York, Saipua? No, what's oh. oh, her friend? Oh, Nicole, 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 Nicolette, Nicolette, yeah, Nicolette Owen. She comes out and does a big thing on irises every year at At Shriners. Shriners. Yeah, yeah. And um, and she came to visit you. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And she comes and visits me at the market in Oregon when I'm there. That's cool. And there's, there's, you're seeing that have us renaissance too. Then. Yeah, I mean, at Pike Street Market, there was a lady from. We sold tons of bearded iris at Pike Street Market when we sold there, but they're really tricky because. They touch each other and they tear, you know. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. And people can't tell what color they are before they buy them a lot of times. It's got to, you have to have an acquired taste or really want it for something special. I think they're absolutely one of the most beautiful things ever on the face of the earth. But I can't grow them here. Our ground's too clay and too um, wet and they get diseased and... I can't deal with that. So, so what are you most excited about that you're growing right now? I as a, And let me just say, it's September 23rd, and you were harvesting armloads of garden roses when I pulled up. So yeah. we're still in rose season. Yeah, I love roses. I love... It's it's so hard to say one thing you really like. I love clematis. Yeah. I love roses. Um, 
you know, everything. I just really have a hard time finding something that I don't like. Yeah. I mean, and that you don't want to try growing. That I don't. I mean, there's things I've grown that I don't really care about. Like, I don't like Anchusa. Mm. You know, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people like it, and it's a nice blue color, but I don't like how it drops, and it's temperamental and wilts. But, but you tried it, and now you've moved on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I've thought about trying Baptisia again, but I'm not really sure I want to. I've filled out the order, and I thought, oh, do I want to try that? Remember how it grew at your farm? Oh, I don't think so. Okay. But, you know, I mean, there, it's not like I don't like it. I really like roses a lot. Yeah. And you can you get a lot of demand for your roses, so. Well, we get some. I'm not saying that we sell 100%. We sell mm-hmm. a lot of, like, our fairy roses, the mostly. Um, but, um, and what are we those? Have, they're just like a little white rose that, that's a spray. Okay. And it, people use them on arbors. Oh, on your ca- the cane roses. I remember yeah. you bring those to the Seattle Growers Market, and yeah. just people went crazy for it. Yeah, we sell tons of that. And we sell, we have this, a French rose, well, the Jocelyne de Filion, and it's not a, I mean, people say it's a good cut flower. I don't feel like it is because it's temperamental. And sometimes it lasts and sometimes it doesn't. I really don't know what the key is. I know you need to use hydrating solution with it. And you can't let it be out of water. Like, people think roses can be out of water because they come from South America or whatever out of water for weeks, I think. I don't know what they do to them. But garden roses cannot yeah. be out of water yeah. like that. Yeah. And last. Well, this has been something I've wanted to do for a long time, and that is to get your voice on the podcast. So many people know you through ASCFG and have heard you speak and have learned from you. And um, I wish that everyone could see your flowers, but maybe we'll we'll put some photos on the show <laughs> notes for the podcast. And uh, you have an updated website, so you've got a lot of beautiful photos on your website too now. Yeah, we do. We have quite a few photos on there. So people um, can find you there. And we'll probably update it again this winter. We're trying to update it yearly in the winter when we're not so busy. Maybe maybe you'll go to Hawaii again Yeah, <laughs> when it snows here. <laughs> well, and, it might be fun. I love going to Hawaii and going to the farmer's markets and stuff over there and seeing what they have. Anything else you want to mention before we turn off the recorder and say goodbye? No, I appreciate all that you're doing and and promoting flowers and oh my gosh if I didn't have people like you to learn from I would be nowhere so it's just a treat to finally do this and to sit on your front porch and look out at your beautiful fields and on a sunny day and uh just just sit back and think wow Janet look look what your life is it's beautiful I appreciate my life a lot I think about that and I think I'm so lucky I mean there's things in my life that aren't great but I really I'm happy with my life. I mm-hmm. love it. And I'm thankful that I get to do what I want to do. And I don't have to worry about going to, I think, should I go to a job? No. No, not at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you have a job. You have many jobs. Uh, Thanks so much. Uh-huh. Thank you, Deborah. Before I sign off, I want to share an opportunity that might strike a chord with you as it has with me. So many of us have watched in horror as the wildfires of Northern California, specifically in Sonoma County, have destroyed homes, businesses, and agricultural land. We have a number of Slow Flowers members who have experienced devastating loss and destruction, and our hearts go out to them. 
there are opportunities to support these friends. I've seen offers of labor, studio and cooler space, housing and design support crossing the social media channels, and I'm inspired to do what I can as well. I just learned through Mud Baron, floral activist and educator at Muir Ranch in Pasadena, California, that there is a just and resilient futures fund in the works as part of the Community Alliance with Family Farmers, a nonprofit agency. A diverse coalition of community-based organizations has established this fund, and resources will be provided to victims of fires, especially those suffering losses not covered by insurance or traditional relief services, and to support initiatives that build more just, healthy, and resilient communities and that better prepare us for future catastrophe. As Mud posted on his Facebook feed, because so many farmers lost so much in this fire, this mad farmer with pruners and an iPhone is raising funds to help the rebuilding efforts at Oak Hill Farm, Flatbed Farm, and Let's Go Farm via this campaign. I'll post a link to the online donation form at deborahprinzing.com. And when you donate to this campaign, Baker Creek Seeds will match gifts up to $1,000. Thanks for getting the word out, Mud. I also want to give a heartfelt shout out to Nicole Skalski and Catherine Green of the Sonoma Flower Mart, which has essentially become the heart and hub of the Slow Flowers community of farmers and florists in the North Bay region. Visit the show notes for episode 320 at deborahprinzing.com to learn more about how you can support North Bay flower farmers by buying their flowers. Our community is strong and resilient, and we are driven by the essential vision of supporting the vibrant domestic floral marketplace. Thanks for being part of this movement. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 247,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. If you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of the podcast. And thank you to our family of sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. And the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to unite educate and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. 
I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at kinetictreefitness.com. Thank you.